Well, uh, River City Church, it is really sweet to be here. Um, I've known um, Brandon and Aaron for, yeah, about three years now. And so I've heard often about what God is doing here in Dubuque, Iowa, not too far away from Madison. And so it's really sweet, though, to be here in person because you can hear about something. And even with all the, the wonders of modern technology, there's just something special, isn't there, about being with people face-to-face in the same space, uh, to really not just hear about it, but to experience it. And so it's just a real joy to be here uh, this morning, to, to sing with you, to open God's Word together, to take communion together later, um, and just would love to kind of just connect and, and say hi to somebody afterwards, Ben and I both would. We, we're just excited what God's doing here in Dubuque, and we're excited just kind of throughout the, the sermon, I'll just be giving some illustrations of what God is doing in Madison, Wisconsin, through Eastside Church. And it's kind of another fun connection. I've been uh, on staff at the Vine Church, which has been supporting River City Church for, for many years, and it's church plant life and uh, being sent out from them. So there's kind of this cool circle of the vine helping support River City, River City supporting us. And there's this sweet kind of multiplication happening uh, as we have this, the same heart to see Jesus made much of in our neighborhoods and also around the world. And so just really excited to be here with you this morning. Well, uh, we're going to continue in the series in Matthew. And uh, I love the, the Gospels because you just get to really see Jesus who he is, what he's like, what, uh, what does he do, and also what does he teach. And, and you guys have been in this section uh, of, of parables, of stories Jesus tells that are kind of illustrative about what life is going to be like in his kingdom, in his community, right? Um, what, how do you get in? What, what, what's it going to be like? Is it worth it? The, these questions emerge, and Jesus tells stories to help us wrestle with that question, and I think those are good questions to ask, because earlier in Matthew, we've already seen that's, that life in the kingdom is good, but there's also some challenges. So back in chapter 10, Jesus was telling his, his earliest followers, the 12 disciples, hey, I'm going to send you out to share the good news of the kingdom, but guess what? You're like sheep amongst wolves. Super encouraging, right? I mean, like, right, that sounds like it's going to be painful. Uh, it will be sometimes. And then even in chapter 11, we see that the very first person be like, Jesus, he's the one to pay attention to. John the Baptist, who first said that, he's now sending friends to Jesus saying, Jesus, are you actually the one? Because I'm sitting here in prison, and that doesn't feel good, and, and you're going around and you're healing some people and doing some teaching, but like, how's that going to change the world? It, it seems so small, so insignificant. It doesn't seem like what... I was expecting. Because after all, like, isn't change going to be bigger? I mean, here's Jesus, one, one guy traveling around with 12 followers and maybe some other men and women too. They're kind of tagging along. He's mostly been hanging out in the backwater country of Galilee that no one wants to hang out with. He hasn't been hanging out by Jerusalem a lot, the, the center of power. Is that really going to be a kingdom that changes the world? It feels so insignificant. That's what they were wrestling with. And so Jesus is telling these parables because he knows that people back then, just like we're often tempted, I think, to believe today, think that, well, no, the way change happens is through power, military power, economic power, political power. It's why vast sums of money are being spent right now by over 20 candidates just to get the nomination for the Democratic Party, never mind all the money that will be spent by both parties afterwards to try to get the presidency, because that's where the power is. But is it? 
is Jesus actually inviting us to think of it something different? Is Jesus actually wanting to say, even though you might have those thoughts, and even though you might look at what I'm doing and say, is this really worth it, Jesus? Is, is following you and being part of your kingdom really good, really worth it? Is it really going to pay off? Is there really going to be a difference? Like, gathering here this morning, is this really worth it? It, it feels so small sometimes. Will there really be change that will happen? The change that we're praying for and hoping for? Well, Jesus this morning in this parable wants to invite us, either for the first time or maybe again, to see that actually, despite what we might first see, that actually his kingdom is good and it brings blessing and transformation. Even though it starts small and often works out of the sight of most people, it will surely grow and bring the blessing and transformation that we all want and need. And so that's what Jesus is going to invite us into this morning, to see his kingdom with fresh eyes. So let me pray, and we'll dig into our passage in Matthew 13. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who does not leave us wandering in the dark, but you not only sent your son Jesus to live for us, to die for us, rise again for us, and to show us what you're like. But you've given us your word so we might see more of who you are and what you're like and what it means to follow you and how it's so good. And so I pray you just help me to speak just your words, nothing more, nothing less. And you'd help us all to lean in and to see with eyes that see rightly what your kingdom is all about. pray this in your name. Amen. Well, let me read Matthew 13, starting at verse 31. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Well, what's interesting about this parable is uh, last week, if you weren't here, I'll catch you up. There was a a parable story told about how the kingdom is like um, grain growing, but the enemy of the king sows weeds into the field, and it grows up too, and they're hard to distinguish, and they're they're both growing up. And the king says, just leave it alone. They'll both grow, and at the end, the good will come to fruition, and what is evil will be judged. Hang in there. Now, what's interesting is, This parable comes in between that parable told and the explanation of the parable. So his closest followers would have heard both the parable of last week and the explanation, but the crowd wouldn't wouldn't have. They heard last week's parable and then this week back to back. So you can imagine after the last parable, they're saying, wait a minute, your kingdom isn't just going to conquer and take over everything. It's going to grow up in the midst of all the other mess. Huh? That's not the kingdom we expected. That, that, that sure isn't what we were hoping for. And so we've got to wait. We've got to be patient. And so Jesus tells them this parable again to keep helping adjust their expectations and give them right eyes. And so we're going to see two adjustments to understanding the kingdom this morning. The first is this. The kingdom of heaven starts small, but it will surely grow. 
So you look at verse 31 again with me. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, you don't need to know anything about mustard seeds, actually, to understand the point of this, because he makes it really clear in verse 32. He says, it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. The point is really straightforward. It's a really small thing that slowly and surely grows to be big, and that's what his kingdom is like. Now, if you do a little research on mustard seeds, they, they start out like one millimeter in size, or like really tiny on average. Um, they're not the smallest seed in the world, but the smallest kind of agricultural seed back then in Israel. But they'll grow to be trees of 8 to 12 feet tall. I mean, that's a crazy difference, right? I mean, a millimeter to like 10, 12 feet, that's huge. But it grows slowly, right? I mean, trees grow slowly. You've got, you've got to be patient. It's going to be small, says Jesus. It's going to look insignificant, but it will grow. You've got to be patient. And just like a seed of a certain type will always grow to produce that type of tree, so Jesus says, my kingdom will always start small and always grow up to be a kingdom that is great. That's the way my kingdom operates. It's built in to it from the very beginning, even though it seems so small. And the beauty of his kingdom is when it grows, it doesn't overpower and destroy, but it brings blessing. Look at verse 32. The result is that when it becomes a tree, the birds come and perch in its branches. And it's this picture of these birds now finding maybe a place for, for refuge and rest and maybe to make a nest and a home. It's, it's blessing. It's encouragement. That's what Jesus' kingdom produces. But, again, it takes time. It starts small. I was actually thinking about this. Uh, ben and I were talking about our backyards. Uh, I bought a house about a year ago in Madison. It's sweet to kind of plant roots and try to really get to know neighbors and say, hey, we're here for the long haul. Um, and uh, thankfully, our backyard has like four really old, awesome maple trees. They're just huge. And it means a ton of raking in the fall, which is not so fun. But uh, it's great in the summer because they pr- provide just amazing shades. It can be like 90 degrees out and humid. And you can still enjoy being out on the back deck because it's shaded. And it's just so wonderful. Ben's house, unfortunately, does not have old mature trees. They have mostly just shorter trees. And we were talking about, like, yeah, it'd be good to plant some things. But the reality is, in planting a tree, you know it could be 10 years, maybe, before that tree actually produces really good shade. Like, you've got to be thinking long term. And it's the same with God's kingdom. If you can see what it's going to grow to become, Jesus says, you won't despair or just reject how small its beginnings often seem. But you've got, you got to look long term. And that's tough, right? Because we are short-sighted creatures. We are so short-sighted. Uh, and we live in a culture that encourages that everything is about speed and quickness, right? I mean, like the unpardonable sin is buffering time on internet, right? I mean, why should there ever be buffering time ever when we have inter- high-speed internet now, right? I mean, and then we have Instapots. Like, why would I take several hours to come in? I can just throw things in, boom, an hour later, done, right? Or we can go to fast food restaurants, and like in a minute and a half, I can have food. Like, that's awesome, right? Or Amazon. Prime, two-day delivery. I can order something now, and it's always there within two days. And sometimes I can pay extra and have it there the next day. Um, I mean, that is speed, right? And our culture is built on fast, efficient, now. And Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom works. It's slow and sure and steady. 
It doesn't grow through a viral tweet. It grows organically, relationally over time. Because Jesus' kingdom is all about restoring people to right relationship with God and with one another. And organic relational things take time. I was thinking about this with, um, with a, a friend of mine that I've gotten to know for about two and a half years in Madison uh, through a dad's group. And I was hanging out with him just a couple months ago in his garage late at night. We're hanging out. He's working on some projects. And, and we were talking, and he was asking me about kind of the church plan, next steps. And he was kind of brainstorming with me about how to get the word out about the church. And then he stopped and just looked at me and said, Michael, this is so weird. I am like a capital A atheist. I hate religion. I hate the church. If I could, I would close every church's door tomorrow without a second thought. And here I am helping you brainstorm about how to get the word out about your church because I like you. I'm like, okay, well, that's a start. It's been two years of walking with him in relationship, lots of conversations with him where I've been honest about the gospel and how it calls us to to give up self-control and live for Jesus, to die the way we want to live life and trust him, but yet that's the best way. I mean, I've been open and frank and honest with him, and yet over this time I've seen the walls come down in his life because he's got a past with a lot of hurts from the church. And so he had a lot of bitterness, and I've seen that coming down. And so I'm praying, God, would you get a hold of his heart so that he starts to love Jesus the way I do and see the transforming power of Jesus. But it's going to take time. It's not going to be fast. I can think of lots of other friends I've got in Mass, and they're the same. And sometimes it can be hard. Maybe, maybe you're thinking that way too. Maybe in your own life you're seeing the slowness of God changing. Maybe you're praying for someone else, and you see the slow, and it can feel hard and at times discouraging. But Jesus says, don't worry. It might be slow. It might be small. But it will grow. It'll grow. Because the advantage of Jesus' often slow and steady way is that our viral culture, yes, things can grow quickly, but they die just as quickly, don't they? The, the really cool video, the really cool hit song, it's there and then it's gone. But I can tell you from just hanging out at a neighborhood association meeting recently to kind of meet neighbors in my neighborhood, people are obsessed about not having their trees cut down because they know the value of something that's grown over a long time, and the goodness of it, and the blessing it brings, and it challenges our instant culture, our instant culture where we're always trying to figure out, well, where do we put all this garbage because we have so much waste, or the fact that we are mining sometimes unsustainably minerals from the earth to make iPhones because last year's model wasn't good enough, and frankly, if they could come out with an iPhone every week, last week's model wouldn't be good enough, right? Use it, Chuck it away, grab something new. But is that the kind of world we actually want to live in? A world where things get used and tossed aside because they don't have meaning anymore for that moment. I don't think we do. That doesn't build healthy relational communities. That doesn't build a world where actually we love one another and serve one another over the long haul. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to build a better kingdom, a better world, and it's going to be slow but it will bring blessing, and it will grow. You just have to wait. Be patient. Trust. Keep hanging on. Have the right mindset. But man, small and slow is hard. 
You can imagine Jesus people back then saying, but Jesus, we're under oppression right now from the Romans. How's your kingdom going to fix that right now? It sure doesn't seem to be doing much. And sometimes we can bring that same mentality today. Like, but I want it fixed now. I don't want to wait. We can bring that same uh, mentality even to not just life with Jesus, but life with church. It's got to be big right away, right now. Bigger is better. And yet, it's not always, right? Big companies trample over their employees all the time. Big governments forget the very people they're called to serve so often. And actually, we've been seeing this pushback even in Madison culture. Where people are recognizing, wait a minute, there's something good about local and relational. They're tapping into something there. And they're saying, we, we want local and relational. And so actually, as we've been thinking about just helping start a church in Madison, we've said, okay, how do we actually rightly see that and say, what would it look like to build something slowly, surely, local neighborhood? And so actually, we've done this unusual model where we're going to meet twice a month kind of all together for a service, and then twice a month, we're going to meet in homes and neighborhoods. We call them neighborhood churches, because we've seen just Madison is so neighborhood-driven. And that might be a little uncomfortable, but if that helps us better engage and reach people, then that's the way to do it. And we're excited about that, but we know it's going to be slow. And we're encouraging people, hey, prioritize relationships, prioritize hospitality. We're playing the long game, faithful, intentional over the long haul. And so we're not going to have a big, crazy launch, 400 people. Even though I think a lot of times, right, we, we tend to think, well, it's got to be big at the start, right? I mean, if you were to go to, like, a new restaurant's opening, or if you were to go to a fundraiser, or if you were to go to a concert and there was a small crowd, what would we think? Man, this place must be lame. That's why no one's showing up, right? Like, we so easily associate a small beginning with lame because we think, well, it's going to peter out. It's going to start big, but you're going to lose some energy. But in Jesus' kingdom, it's the opposite. It starts small and it builds. That's much better. And so we don't know exactly what God's going to do, but we're excited about some things that God's doing. Like I think about two weeks, Sundays ago, having a, a barbecue in my backyard and five of our neighbors, many of them new to the neighborhood, were over hanging out. And we had four or five other families from kind of our neighborhood church over. And to watch them not just hang out with the people they like, but being intentionally relational, welcoming others in. And we're praying, saying, God, would you draw these neighbors into the family of God? And we have confidence that he's going to do some of that because God loves to work through small and weak things. He likes to take a small group. We've got about 40 people-ish and then about like 34 kids, but 40 adults and take this small thing in a city of about a quarter million people, surrounding area, half a million people, four to 5% evangelical. What, What are 40 people really going to accomplish? Well, we think with God, actually it could be a lot. Because he loves to work through small and weak things. Uh, I was actually thinking about the story of Gideon. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. But in the, the Old Testament time period, God worked through the nation of Israel. And Gideon was this guy. And at that time period, Israel was under foreign oppression by Midian, this other nation. And Gideon's hiding out in a hole. And an angel comes to him and says, Hail, mighty warrior, God has chosen you to bring about deliverance. And Gideon's like, wait. Is there somebody else in this hole? Because I'm the smallest in my family, and our family's the smallest in our clan, and our clan's the smallest of our tribe. You can't be talking about me. And God's like, yep, yep, I am, actually. 
And so Gideon gathers an army that's still way too small for the task to take out the Midianites. And God goes, hey, hey Gideon, there's, there's a big problem. Gideon's like, I know, we're way too small. And God's like, nope, actually, wrong direction. Your army's too big. Can you just make it a little smaller? Could you like, bring your army down to 300 people? That's, that's just perfect. And he's like, but we're going to take on the Midianites. And like, they're almost as numerous as like the stars in the sky. Obviously hyperbole, right? But he, like, they feel so numerous. And you're sending me with 300 guys? That's it? God's like, yes, that's perfect. That's the way I like to work best. And they win. Because God likes working through small and weak things because he gets all the credit. We realize that it's not about our strength. It's about God. It's not about our bigness. It's about God's bigness. And so he loves to start with small, weak things and do something beautiful. But what's sometimes hard is not just that the kingdom is small and slow to grow, but the second adjustment is that we have to realize the kingdom of heaven often works out of sight. And that can be hard too. So look at, look at the second little parable. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour and it worked all through the dough. Now, I'm not a baker, nor the son of a baker, but I do really enjoy baked goods, um, which does not make me qualified to talk about yeast, except I used Google, that wonderful tool, to learn a little bit about how yeast works, right? And basically, yeast is like this dormant thing that when you put it with warm water, it comes alive, and it eats the sugar from flour, and then expels carbon dioxide, which is a gas, and so it causes the, the flour to rise, Right? And what's amazing about this uh, is that it happens kind of completely out of sight, right? And so you can watch the bread rise, but you're not actually seeing the yeast eat the sugar. Like, you can't see that. It's an invisible process to our eyes, but we can see the transformative effects of it eventually. But it takes time, right? You, you, you've got to let the yeast sit in the flour for a while and let the bread rise. You've got to wait, um, my wife and I like watching the, the Great British uh, Baking Show. Um, if you've ever seen that, it's kind of fun. And there's so often times where like, they're just like putting the stuff in like, the, the prover and they just have to leave it and just wait. And they're just sitting around their stools just waiting, waiting for the bread to rise, the dough to rise. And Jesus gives the, in this example that a little bit of yeast actually works through 60 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour, right? But it doesn't matter that it's a lot of flour. It doesn't matter how big so to speak, the problem is a little yeast will keep working its way through. Just give it time. And Jesus says, that's like what my kingdom's like. It doesn't matter how big the problem out there seems. Give it time. And my kingdom's influence works itself all the way through and brings about transformation. It brings about a good transformation. But you've got to wait. And again, this is so countercultural because it, it's time and it's out of sight. And, and we're used to, well, the famous people get the attention, right? The, the politicians and the business people and the actors and the athletes, those are the ones that get the limelight and really make change happen. And Jesus is saying, actually, what if change happens more out of sight? That's how it is in my kingdom. Ordinary people that love Jesus in their ordinary lives as they live for Jesus and speak of Jesus actually bring about transformation in people's lives, in families, in neighborhoods, in cities, and eventually the world. It will happen. So just trust it. Wait. 
watch. And sometimes it's hard because we want to be noticed. We, we, we want to get the attention. Or we think maybe, Jesus, you got it wrong. Like maybe if we could just get like all the key influential limelight people on our, on our team, then the change would happen. But I think Jesus is saying, no, no, trust me. My kingdom often works best out of sight on the margins. After all, in Jesus' day, it was the people on the margins that came and hung out with Jesus. The tax collectors, social outcasts prostitutes, all the people that were unclean, outside of margin. The Apostle Paul, the first great missionary in too, when he wrote to a church in Corinth, the Greek city, he said, remember, not many of you were wise or rich, powerful, because God loves to choose the weak and the foolish things in the world. It shows up all throughout history. You can go to India today, and it's the Dalits, the untouchables, are the greatest number of people turning and running to Jesus. It's the margins. And yet so often we want to work in the center. That's where the limelight is. Uh, there's a band called All-Star United that I, that I love. They're an older band, but they have this song called Smash Hit, and they, uh, they have this great way of using humor to make serious points. So in talking about Jesus... They, they sing kind of tongue-in-cheek. They say, all he needed was PR, just a million box of business cards, careful image consultation, securing reputation, a clever market plan. He just didn't understand that's all it really takes. He could have played for higher stakes, but now somehow we've gone wrong. And yeah, it's tongue-in-cheek, right? And yet what we have to see is that Jesus was playing for way bigger stakes. He just did it in different ways. He wasn't just aiming to fix education or poverty. No, Jesus came to deal with our biggest root issue. At heart, we are selfish creatures in rebellion to our good God and choosing to love ourselves more than others around us. That's what causes all the problems. We choose self over loving our neighbor. We choose self over loving God. And everything else flows from that. And Jesus said, that's what I came to deal with. I was thinking about this when I was in Haiti. I uh, helped sometimes train pastors overseas in teaching the Bible. And if you've ever been to Haiti, um, it's, it's just a country that's in a total mess. I mean, rampant poverty, garbage all over the streets, um, lack of education, um, bad health care, corruption in the government. The little money they do get is gone. Uh, and yet what's crazy is we've poured tons of money as Western nations into Haiti and have done almost no good. In fact, a lot of times we've done more harm than good. And it's, it's just broken. And yet in the midst of that place, I was just thinking, how, how do you ever see transformation happen here? Like the problems are, it just feels so immense. But I saw something that encouraged me. 25 pastors getting around their Bibles, learning how to teach it, and talking, because this isn't the first time they're being trained, about the difference that God's word in relationship with Jesus was making in people in their communities and the lives are being transformed, and how those having ripple effects in their communities. And they were talking about a vision of, man, what if we multiply this training to other pastors, and it benefits other churches and other communities, and they could see a day when Haiti would be a different country because of the hope of Jesus and the hope that his kingdom brings. That's the kind of change Jesus wants to talk about. Because in God's kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, most of the best change doesn't happen on TV it happens right next door in faithful, ordinary moments repeated over and over and over again. That's how God works. We see it in Jesus, right? 
Jesus who's talking about this lived this very thing out, right? Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem in a palace. He was born in a stable in a backwater little town called Bethlehem, which was only important because they had an illustrious ancestor there. But it was a nobody town. He grew up in Nazareth, which everyone said, well, you know what they say about Nazareth? Nothing good can come from there. That's where he grew up. And then he spent three years investing in 12 guys, one of whom would betray him. And then he ends his life dying on a cross as a common criminal outside of town. Could anything good come from such a small, insignificant beginning? The answer Jesus gives is yes. The best thing, actually. Because Jesus had said it before he ever went and died. He said in John 12, 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can bear no fruit. But if it dies, it will bear hundredfold fruit and fruit. And Jesus came to deal with our biggest problem by laying down his perfect life, dying when we, where we should have died for our rebellion, but then being raised up to new life. And suddenly, the 11 disciples that were left become 120 people gathered in an upper room praying, God, would you do something? This feels so small, but you promised you're going to do something. And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and they start talking about the good news of Jesus, and suddenly thousands start believing. And those thousands get persecuted, and they scatter throughout the Roman Empire until within 300 years, the Roman Empire falls apart, and Christianity is exploded. They estimate maybe millions of Christians by this point, within 300 years. Crazy. And today, Christianity is the largest faith in the globe. Such a small, insignificant beginning. What about us this morning? There probably is, if there are a lot of people's mind, quote-unquote, bigger news in Dubuque, Iowa, than what's happening here and in other churches that are preaching the gospel this morning. But Jesus actually says it's wrong. This is the biggest thing happening. It just looks small. But actually, this is going to grow be something beautiful, and it'll bring blessing, and it'll bring transformation, because that's how God works. And so as you scatter from here, you get to bring the yeast of Jesus with you to your workplace, to your neighborhood, to your families. And as you bring that yeast and live for Jesus and speak of him, it spreads, and it grows, and more lives are transformed, sometimes one life at a time. Sometimes slowly, but it will surely grow, says Jesus. And that's what we're seeking to do too in Madison. We look at it at Madison, and it's, it's a really cool city. I love it. It's, you know, it's a city, but they love the outdoors there. Uh, they love kind of local businesses, all kinds of cool spots you can go, fun restaurants to eat at, bike paths, things to do outdoors. They, I love just the emphasis on local business and, and community involvement. I've heard that Madison is a huge proportion of nonprofits. They want to do good. They, they want to build an inclusive community. The problem is they just can't quite do it because the tools they're using are money and power and education and politics, and those don't cut it to deal with the root issue. And so we're excited to be there. One small church amongst many others seeking to just be the yeast of the kingdom, slowly, out of sight, bringing blessing and transformation. It looks like 
when our new neighbor moved in, we actually went go over there and helped them move all their furniture in. And they're like, who are you? I've never met you before, and you're helping me move my furniture in. Who does this? And a conversation begins, and I share about what we're doing and why we're here in Madison. It looks like another person in our core group who has built a relationship. I work with an older lady whose husband is really ill. And now, as a, as a community, we're going to provide meals for them. We've, most of us have never met this family. And they're like, why would these people provide meals to someone they've never met before? Well, it's because of Jesus. It looks like serving at a middle school that has the highest proportion of, of students of color and the highest proportion of students uh, that are in economic need and serving there and being a blessing there. Even though many of the teachers, when we first showed up to serve and volunteer, were like, we don't want you. You're Christians, and you guys are bigots. We don't like you. And now they're like, wow, you guys have really served well. We appreciate you. One more step on the slow journey, maybe seeing some of them come to love Jesus. Nothing flashy, but God wants to use his people and will build something beautiful, though small. Uh, my favorite book is Lord of the Rings. Maybe you've never read the book. If you haven't, you should. If you haven't watched the movies, you definitely should. Uh, it's a little easier than reading the books. But they're great stories. And J.R. Tolkien, who wrote them, was a Christian. I think that shows up because in his worldview, it's really interesting to ask, who are the heroes of his story? Who is the great king? It's not Boromir in shiny armor, growing up in the palaces of Minas Tirith, bold, courageous warrior. He's not the king. No, it's Aragorn, a ranger, a loner, who spent most of his life in the wilderness protecting the Shire, the land of the hobbits, even though he's the rightful king from the margins. Who who is the great hero that ends up eventually defeating evil by destroying the ring? It's not Gandalf, the great and powerful wizard. It's not Galadriel, the wise elf queen. No, it's Frodo, the hobbit, a halfling. Literally half the size, literally physically small. But it's him and his friend, a gardener, who make the long trek through everything and eventually bring about victory. The small the nobody. No one could have seen that coming, and that's Jesus' point with his kingdom. No one might see it coming, but wait, trust, don't give up. So this morning, I think Jesus wants us to say, if you're willing to consider that maybe, just maybe, our typical mindset of big and fast and in the limelight isn't actually where it's all at, Maybe for the first time this morning, you're willing to give his kingdom a shot. Say, just maybe a king who's willing to lay down his life to save you is a king worth following, no matter how small or out of of sight or insignificant his kingdom feels at the moment. Maybe that's what he's inviting you to this morning. Maybe for some of you, you've been following Jesus for a while, and he wants to just encourage you this morning and say, you might be discouraged, but don't just look around with your natural eyes. See what I'm seeing. One day, the tree will be fully grown and bring full blessing. One day, the flower will be fully leavened, fully transformed. We will live in a new earth, perfect. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death, no more broken relationships. Just wait. We'll get there. Don't be discouraged. Don't reject this kingdom. It will grow and bring blessing and transformation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you are at work in many ways.
that are invisible to our eyes and yet at work nonetheless. So I pray this morning that we would have eyes to see the world and what you're doing it the way you do. That we'd see in Jesus a king who, who died and rose again to build a new community, a new family, a new world where things are right and good. And that we would want to lean into that and trust Jesus and keep following him even on the days when it seems hard or discouraging or slow. So would you help us, Father? Pray this in your name. Amen.